Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of uh, the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers today. We're going to be in, in Numbers chapter twelve. Numbers chapter twelve. And uh, last week we we kind of returned back to Numbers, and uh, on the title of the sermon is Miriam and Aaron complain. Uh, so that's an interesting title. Last week was the people complain. This week it's about Miriam and Aaron complaining. Well, um, <clears throat> yesterday, uh, many of you may be aware. You were many of you were here about. Uh, uh, 50 of you were in person, and 40 of you were online. We had our ministry leaders meeting yesterday. Ministry leaders meeting, uh, those of you that join us in ministry leaders uh, meeting. And the church is blessed. We are blessed. We should praise God for the, the number of ministry leaders that, that he has placed in the church. Over 100, actually there's about 130 ministry leaders in this church. Uh, membership about 278, attendance about 350, around there, 375 or so. We have 100 people, 130 people who serve Christ by leading, by teaching, by planning and directing all the various ministries of this local church. And we praise God for them because God has, has gifted them, he's, he's saved them, and he's brought them here to, to, to be a part of, of this local church. And, and we, we who believe in the sovereignty of God know that God has placed these ministry leaders among us to, to lead us, lead our congregation. Uh, and we're, we are grateful for them. Even as we recognize our ministry leaders, though, we also, yesterday and, and, and always, we're reminded, and particularly if you are a ministry leader, we're reminded of how imperfect of kind of leaders that we are. It's a, you know, I've never gone to a ministry leaders meeting where we have evaluation time and where no one says, oh, there's nothing, oh, everything's going fine. No, there's nothing to improve. There's nothing to change, you know. That, that means we would have, well, that means not that we've arrived, but the fact is we, we're not thinking. But every ministry leader has eyes to see about areas we can get better in, areas things we can improve in. And yesterday, it was, we were blessed to have that time of evaluation. But we remind ourselves that in, as ministry leaders, we're, we're leaders, we're all imperfect. We are sinners that are saved by grace. That doesn't change the fact that we're sinners by nature. We're still sinners. We're just saved by grace. And we're being sanctified in the process. And we're being more and more like Jesus, but yet we're not perfect yet. And we're not going to be for a while. And so ministry leaders are given by Christ to the church to, to lead us. And we think of terms, and a lot of times we know what they do as like, a, uh, well, they, they lead, they teach, they plan, they, they, uh, they uh, direct their various things. But leaders, first and foremost from God, are meant to be examples of character, examples who, who follow Christ. They're people who follow Christ, and they're people that, whom we follow as they follow Christ. They are the instruments by which Christ has chosen to build up this church. And the reality is that they have ministry leaders, because of their role, because of their place in the church, they have great potential to bring God glory. They, have, they influence souls. They influence lives. And that's why we expect our ministry leaders to be deacon or deaconess qualified. We expect them to be that. We expect them to be godly men and women. We want them to, be, to strive to attain to that standard because God is entrusting souls to them. You know, even if it's just a few souls, those are souls for which Christ has paid his life for. But the greater potential for God's glory is also at the same time the greater potential for God's dishonor. And the one who can bring the greatest dishonor to the church of Jesus Christ is probably in this church is, is, is me. Because here I am in the pulpit and I speak to you and I'm very visible. Um, but if I deny the faith, if I go and... Uh, you know, forsake the faith, I forsake my family, I forsake the church, well, that will generally bring greater dishonor, wider spread dishonor in not only this church but in our community um, than 
someone who is uh, sitting quietly in the pew. And so there's a greater, there's a greater honor, greater potential for God's glory, but also a greater potential for God's dishonor for the ministry leaders. And I've said many times that churches are, are divided. The churches that are divided, churches that experience disunity, they do so because most likely there is division and disunity among the leaders themselves. Oftentimes, you know that there is division and disunity in a church because it's reflected in the complaining of leaders against other leaders. Now, of course, well, I said we're all sinners. And so there's always opportunity for, for humble correction, humble correction, admonishment that needs to go on, gentle admonishment, correction. There's always room for humble evaluation so that ministry can be better. Better? Because we're, we're not there yet. None of us are there yet. If the Church of Christ was there yet, well, we, you know, uh, we wouldn't need to have the, open the Bible up anymore. We, we've arrived, right? We need to remember we haven't arrived. There's much room for us to improve. But what there is no room for in the Church of Jesus Christ is there's no room for, for complaining, especially among between leaders. No room for biting and no room for judging uh, and no room for that, that bitterness, that conflict, that strife that uh, becomes that is often sometimes characterized by churches where leaders are, have sadly um, become, uh, uh, have started falling into uh, a pattern of complaining. And we, seen, and we see that not only in modern day in churches all around America, if you live long enough, you, you hear enough stories, you, you know what goes on, uh, but we can see it just in the Bible itself. Numbers is kind of like that for us. Numbers is a book about the people of God wandering through the wilderness. You can make that a parallel to us wandering through life. And you're going to see there, it's not just one time that they complain, it's repeatedly they complain. Because the honest truth is we all repeatedly complain. You know, this message, you know, you may think I'm trying to target you, but I'm not. Because this is a message that targets all of us and me first. We've all been guilty of complaining. We've all probably been guilty of complaining about other leaders or against leaders. Okay, that's, a, that's just, a, let's just put that out there. Let's accept that. Let's not be in denial about that, okay? And we need to repent of that and confess that, but we'll, well, let's let God's word do that for us, okay? Last week we learned from Numbers chapter 11 how Israel was just constant, was, was showed a pattern of complaining. In chapters 11, there was actually two instances of complaining. In verse 1 to 3, they were complaining of the adversity. They were just grumbling, complaining. As they're on this three-day journey, they're complaining about the adversity. Oh, it's, it's the wilderness. And it was hard. It's hard, no doubt. They're wandering through. They don't have, you know, a permanent place. But they were complaining, and so God judged them with fire. That's verse 1 to 3. In verses 4 to 35 of chapter 11, they complained again. But this time they complained about food. They complain, oh, where's our meat? Where's our leeks? Where's our melons? You know, et cetera. And God judged them with a plague. He gave them birth. He actually, he gave them meat, and then he judged them. And uh, we see that a pattern. Here in chapter 12, we find a third instance. You know, they, they're heading towards the promised land. It's only been a three, four, maybe five-day journey at most, and already they've already complained twice. We're seeing that they're going to complain a third time, a third time. This is, a, and, and before you judge them too harshly, if you were wandering through the wilderness with two million people, you'd probably be complaining too. Okay, so just let's put that out there. All right, so we're going to look, learn from, the, from Miriam. Uh, in, in this case, we're going to find that instead of the people complaining, we see the example of where leaders are complaining. Miriam and Aaron are complaining. 
And, uh, and this is just an it's a, it's a, it's a encouraging lesson for all of us, a reminder of all of us of the, of the danger of when leaders complain. Uh, obviously, complaining is, is sin, and, um, and there's a, we'll talk about, the, you know, there, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a complaint that is honorable to the Lord, where we bring it to the Lord, but generally, when we speak about complaining, it's in that sinful complaining. And we're going to learn from three points, three observations of the story. And I just want to tell, kind of tell you the story, work, kind of walk us through the story. And as we, and it, I feel like you just read it, and you're like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't complain. Yeah, yeah I think you're just going to realize, it's like, a, it's one of those children's stories you can read, huh? Yeah, um, and you can just read it to people, and they'll be like, your kids will probably get, oh, I see, I sh- we shouldn't complain. I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, so I almost don't need to say anything if you, you think uh, that, that's kind of what it is. Uh, but I want to walk us through, and hopefully just by walking us through the story, it'll impress upon us. Because I think we're all, for number one, we already probably admit that, hey, we wrestle with complaining sometimes. And there are times when we complain against leaders. And then we're going to find out that we know that complaining generally is wrong. Complaining against leaders is wrong. And so then there's danger in it. Um, but sometimes we just need God's word to convict us. Convict us, to make us challenge, to challenge us, to want to change. So we're going to learn today about three points, three observations from Miriam and Aaron's complaining that warn God's people of the danger of complaining among leaders. Okay, that's a dangerous place to be. And so number one, we're going to learn today, first observation we make, if we take, take verse one and two, and we're going to spend, we're going to spend a significant time here, is that the concern of the complainers. We learned, I made some observations about the concern of the complainers, that is Miriam and Aaron. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of Numbers chapter 12. Here's the story. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. You know, the really main thing to point out here is the last phrase of verse 2, that the Lord heard it. They were complaining, and the Lord heard it. Uh, we all times think we're complaining is internal, and sometimes it's just an internal kind of complaining to ourselves about circumstance of a life. But a lot of times our internal is just kind of, we're just venting to our spouse or to our brother or sister in the Lord. and You know, just somewhere we're just, we're just kind of, you know, grumbling, complaining about things. But you know what? When you complain or whatever, even what you're thinking, the Lord hears it. The Lord is all in all places and all, can do all things. He, he hears it. You're, we are constantly in his presence. And that's the significant thing about uh, complaining is that we, the Lord knows about it. But in verse 1, we see here Miriam and Aaron, they're, they're complaining. They're speaking against Moses. These are Moses' family. They're his brother, his sister. It's just, and I guess that's not for surprise because I hear that all the time in, in my family. Uh, you know, our kids are squabbling, complaining about each other. That's normal. Our kids, uh, you know, if you're watching this online, uh, you know, yeah, you'd like Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Uh, but there's a, there's a natural complaining in families, and hey, there's a complaining even in church families, okay? That's, it's just kind of we're comfortable enough with each other that we sometimes do that, but it's not necessarily right. Miriam and Aaron are complaining against Moses. They're, and But while they're family, they're also leaders in, in the congregation of Israel. Miriam, according to Exodus 15, 20, was a prophetess. She, she spoke God's word. She led the, the, the women of Israel in worship of the Lord when they came out of, uh, out of Egypt. Aaron was the nation's high, first and high priest. He was the high priest. And uh, so these were two key leaders that were speaking against, complaining, grumbling against Moses. Now, 
there's a significant grammatical uh, observation that we want to make here in that that word spoke, Miriam Aaron spoke in verse 1. It actually, in the Hebrew, the it is in what's called the feminine singular form. And there's a grammatical construction. It's the feminine singular form. And though Miriam and Aaron, that we would expect it to be the masculine plural, because it's two people that are active doing activity, but yet it's a feminine singular. And so that is an indication. It conveys that Miriam was likely the, the instigator, the leader in this complaint. It probably began with her. She initiated the complaining. And, of course, complaining, as we learned last week, is, is contagious. So she probably complained to Aaron. She said, oh, man, you know, about, about Moses. And then Aaron joined her cause. Said, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't believe Moses did that. Or has God only spoken through Moses to you? Oh, yeah, what about us? Anyways, we'll see how this works out. The complaining. Uh, and from the text, we notice that there, there seems to be two reasons, two reasons for their complaint against Moses. In verse one, one, verse 1, we're going to see the grounds for their complaint, the ground for the complaint. And in verse 2, we're going to discover the, the motivation for the complaint. And if you could compare and contrast those a little bit, the grounds might be the, the outward circumstances, that which is this outward, that external thing that they're noticing about Moses that they're complaining about. In verse 2, we're going to try to, it, it, may, it kind of leans more towards the internal motivation. What's, what's in the heart? What's leading it from the heart? That's uh, to, for them to grumble and complain about Moses. Let's look at then, first and foremost, about the grounds. Number one, the grounds. So we find the grounds for the complaint. Verse one, the grounds for the complaint against Moses was because he had married a Cushite woman. He basically had married a foreign woman. She, he did not marry an Israelite woman. He married a Cushite woman or a, a, a foreign woman. Now, there is some debate among scholars about whether this is Zipporah, the Midianite, or another woman that Moses married maybe after Zipporah uh, died or even in addition to Zipporah. But all that aside, the main focus here, just the the point that Miriam and Aaron are complaining about, is that Moses has married a foreigner. That's that's the problem here. That's the grounds for their complaint. But, But why are they having this complaint about Moses' wife now? in the context of this, of this story. Well, it, it can be understood when we consider what just took place in the previous chapter, in chapter 11. In the previous chapter, where when the complaining of Israel, the whole nation was complaining about food, and they got judged with a plague. A lot of people had died, but where did it begin? And you know, when there's troubles, we always look for, well, how did this begin? How did this happen? Who do we blame? You know, we always look for someone to blame. And that's just human nature, too, and right or wrong, that probably more wrong. Uh, it's a, and, and if you recall... The complaining began with the rabble. It, that ref- was a reference to the, the foreign peoples, the, the non-Israelites who went out with Israel out of Egypt. And this rabble, they were complaining. Yes, they were complaining first, but they also, because it was contagious, they influenced, and the sons of Israel started complaining, and God judged them with a plague, all of them. You know, it's really no excuse. Even though you might say, oh, I, I, it's like, well, uh, he murdered first, and that's why I murdered. Um, you know, that doesn't excuse your murdering. You're a murderer. So, well, uh, you know, we all do that. Oh, well, we try to push the, push the blame on someone else, but the fact is if you sin, you deserve judgment. And that's, but nevertheless, in their kind of humanness, in their sinful humanness, they were looking for someone to blame. And, uh, and so they, it was very natural that they would target and blame the foreigners that were among them because the foreigners were the ones who started it. Moran Aaron found the target in the foreigners among them to blame for the, the plague that just took place that took the lives of many of the Israelites instead of the really, it's really their greed that was the reason for uh, their judgment. 
And what's more, they probably recalled God's law in Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 and following, where God had prohibited the Israelites. You remember this law. He prohibited them from intermarrying with any of these, a list of about seven different nations in the land of Canaan. These were idol worshiping of the nations of the, of the worst kind. You know, they, they like, they killed their children. There was a, sexual, a lot of sexual immorality in their worship. And so it was a, the wicked, and it had been, they had been doing this up for 400 some years in the land of Canaan. And God had forbade them to intermarry with them because he knew that intermarrying with those idol-worshiping nations would lead Israel to worship other idols as well, worship the God, and turn away from God. So Miriam and Aaron's complaint then was on the ground that Moses had married a foreign wife. You'd marry a foreigner. However, was their complaint legitimate? Think about it. Was the complaint legitimate? Well... Did God's law forbid all marriage to anyone who was a foreigner? The answer is actually no. He forbade them to marrying only this, the, the peoples from those seven particular nations in the land of Canaan because when, when they go and conquer them, there's gonna be, they're going to all be put under the ban. They're all going to be destroyed. They ought to be destroyed. So he did not forbid them from marrying an Egyptian, for instance, or a Midianite, or a Cushite, or a Chinese person, or an American. Okay? There's no forbidding of that, even though they're not Jewish. But he, God not forbid that. He forbade them from marrying intermarriage. But nevertheless, this, what happens here is an example of legalism that they were guilty of. With good, very good intent, these uh, Miriam and Aaron and probably others like them wanted to keep God's law, right? But in order to keep God's law, what tends to happen is you want to take it a little further. You, want to, you don't want to say, well, let's, 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 let's do this. So, oh, you know, hey, Let's not get drunk with wine. You know, drunk with, getting drunk with wine is sin. So, hey, let's, let's not drink at all. Let's not drink at all, right? And that may be great for you. That may be your conscience before the Lord because you want to honor God. And that's fine. That's honorable if you do that. But it comes legalism when you say, hey, you ought not to drink wine. I saw you at the bar the other day. You, you were standing outside the bar. That is sin. You know, oh, I saw you. I saw that cooking wine in your closet. That is sin. You know, that's legalism, okay? You take some law, drunkenness is sin, okay? But we take it another step. Now, hey, if you're one who's given to alcoholism, yeah, you probably shouldn't be standing outside the bar. You probably shouldn't be having wine easily in your house. That's, that's not wise for you. And that maybe should be, your, ought to be maybe a good matter of conscience, conviction for you. But legalism always takes it a little further. And it's okay to have those conscience convictions, but it becomes legalism when we use that as a standard by which we expect other people to live for when God doesn't expect them to live for that. And a lot of the complaining that we do is that kind of complaining. We're complaining, we're evaluating people just based upon human standards, human traditions. I know we've, our church has experienced, and almost every Bible teaching church, by the way, experiences this to some extent or the other. It's because we care about the Bible. Okay, if we didn't care about the Bible... Yeah, no judgment, whatever. Live whatever you want. You can worship other gods you want. You know, it's all good. But because we care about the Bible, because we care about the law of God, the word of God, we, we sometimes will, in each of us, will we'll create kind of personal convictions, matters of conscience, that I'm going to do this because I, I feel like I honor God that way. And you do that to the honor, glory of God, all that you want, and that's, and that's honoring to him. But what happens to this, because they had this view, they, because they thought, well, let's, it's not even right to marry, intermarry with any foreigners. They were judging Moses because he had married a foreigner. He, they thought they were, he was unspiritual for having married a foreigner because, look, 
the foreigners were the ones who, who led us into, into uh, complaining and, and, the, and the judgment of God. In fact, they thought, what happens is we see that they thought they were better than Moses because, well, they were following the law in their minds, but they're really just following the traditions. Too often complaining among leaders comes down to accusations of others just not being biblical. You know? That's how we operate. We, we want to accuse people of not being biblical, okay? Um, but in reality, we are complaining that they're just simply not following our tradition, traditions or our own personal convictions or our applications of a text. You know, if you don't find chapter and verse for the sin that you're accusing someone of, whether it's a leader or, or even not a, or just our, another brother and sister in Christ, we should proceed cautiously, carefully. Perhaps there's wisdom in that for them, to encourage them, but be careful judging them by expecting them to live to a standard that they themselves have not arrived at being convicted of. And when leaders complain against one another on the basis of man-made rules, they're not only sitting against their brethren by judging their brother. That's what James 5, 9 says, right? Do not judge one another. Do not judge one Do not complain against one another lest you be judged. Is the idea that when you complain against your brother or sister, you're judging them by your own standard, not God's standard, you, you know, uh, and you will, you will be judged by God. It's complaining based on man-made religion is a sin against brethren, against a sin against God. Now, of course, our leaders, our people in our, our lives, fellow believers, they're not perfect. They all, we do have sin. And when you're concerned with someone's sin, what should we do? We should, well, don't, don't complain about it, so don't say nothing. To, no, that's not it. You need to follow the Bible, obey the Bible, and gently graciously, prayerfully come alongside them to seek their good, to point out scriptures, to encourage them. But you see what happens with Miriam and Aaron here. They they didn't even bring their complaints to to Moses. You see in verse 2 what they said instead. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Moses is spoken in the third person. That's real significant. Because if they were speaking to Moses, what would they have said? Has the Lord indeed spoken only through you, Moses? Right? They would have said the you. But the fact they say Moses tells us that they're, at the very least, they're speaking to one another. But most likely, as we see the content, later conscience, they probably had spoken against Moses to the others in the congregation, the others and the people among, in Israel. And in verse 2, we see the inward heart, the inward the, the motivation for the grumbling of, Moses, of Miriam and Aaron against Moses. And that is, as reflected in the words, they were envious of Moses. They were envious of him. They, they were jealous of him. They saw his position of leadership in the, in the congregation of Israel, and they, they were questioning, well, what about us? Has the Lord, indeed, did the Lord only speak to Moses only? Well, did, hasn't he spoken to us as well? Don't we deserve to have a level of prestige, of leadership, of responsibility, authority in the Israel as Moses does? And, and I was thinking, if, you know, just in light of the, the context of the previous chapter, remember when Moses complained to the Lord, and he did a holy, he rightly complained to the Lord. He says, oh, I'm all alone. This, this burden is too great for me to lead Israel. What did God do? God provided help. Seventy elders from the congregation of Israel whom then started prophesying themselves, and then they become the ones who helped Moses in leading Israel. But was Miriam or Aaron among that 70? No, they weren't. 
And that may have been, uh, some, may have been a cause for their little bit of their jealousy. What about us? Haven't we prophesied? That's what we've already prophesied. Not just these, 70, these new 70 people. They prophesied just now, and they're, they're helping Moses lead the Israel. What about us? Where, where's our recognition? Where's our honor? Where's our glory? And this is what happens when we envy. This is what's happening here. We compare ourselves. We compare ourselves with others. We think that we're better or at least the same as that other person or equal to that person. And therefore, we think that we deserve better or equal to their treatment. And that's what happened with Miriam and Aaron. They're looking at Moses. They think that they're, well, they could be better than him and their older siblings, for sure. They, have they not prophesied? Moses wasn't even afraid. Moses had to, God had to tell Moses, Moses had to tell Aaron. Aaron told the people what God said. Miriam was, was, uh, Miriam was a prophetess. She led the whole nation in worship. Aren't they, didn't they, did they not have maybe, uh, besides, didn't she, you know, she was instrumental in helping save Moses and watching where he went when the, in the water. She'd been watching out for him for a long time, and now he gets all the honor. Now, as we learn, that complaining last week can be motivated and come out of a heart of greed. Uh, so here, complaining, uh, grumbling can come out of a heart of envy, jealousy. Seeing that something, someone else has something that you think you deserve, that you, that you ought to be yours. And usually it's, it's kind of, it's, it's position, it's, it's recognition among leaders that they want. And this is what's happening here. They want to be recognized. They're questioning Moses' leadership. They think they should have an equal recognition of leadership to Moses. And especially, he married a Cushite. He married a foreigner. So he's not even spiritual like Miriam and Aaron were. How, and so you can just see how it happens, you know, uh, when we complain, we start looking for other sins in people's lives and just kind of um, complaining about that and using it as justification toward our own envy, the rightness of our envy. So as Christians, we too must be mindful about complaining against others, whether leaders or just others, any others, out of envy or even legalism or both. And there, there are many times we can fall into that. And we should ask ourselves, when we, when we have something against someone, is it, is it a sin? Is it a real sin? If it's a sin, be faithful to lovingly, gently reprove and correct. Leaders need that as well. But if it's maybe a preference, a uh, conviction, a con- matter of conviction, conscience, then let us be more careful. It may, it may be all right to share wisdom, but we should especially be careful when when we try to when we reprove people for or complain about people, thinking uh, com- almost implying that they're unspiritual, when the fact is we're just judging them by our own uh, legalistic standard, and especially when we're doing it out of envy. In, in seminary, it was warned oftentimes in my in my pastoral ministry class, young pastors, you know, all young pastors, well, old pastors too, but watch out for envy. Watch out for envy, pastors, when you guys go out there. Because you're going to go out there and you're going you're gonna to be faithful. You're going to get land in the church. You're going to just serve there and minister. You're going to be faithful there. And then you're going to find your other, your other classmates. They're going to go to some church. And, you know, they, they're there for like three years. And that church explodes to 3,000. And here you are, you know, a couple years later, and you got a church of 10, you know. And you're like, wait, I've been faithful. Lord, I, you start comparing. I, I've, I preach the word of God. I've prayed. I've, you know, I've tried to do some evangelism out there. But wow, that guy, oh, that guy was, he was sloughing in his seminary. Do you know he was actually sloughing, sleeping in seminary class? I saw him. 
He was one of those, you know, he just didn't care in the world. And here, look, God bless him with 3,000-member church. That's, that's envy. Okay? And then we kind of, we watch for that. And, and it happens not only with, uh, 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 with other churches, but even within a church, you know, even within church. You know, why is my ministry, I've been, I've been so faithful with this ministry, but brother or sister so-and-so over there, they've had a ministry for a week. And look, everybody's going to it. Man, but they don't even study the Bible there. Okay, they do, I, I hope. But, you know, uh, they, don't, they don't have as much of the Bible there as my Bible study does. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of what we probably would say. No, let's see, that's, that's envy. Watch out for envy. Okay, that's uh, just practical encouragement. Now, Miriam and Aaron, they were, they were wrong. Okay, they were wrong. It's, I think the story's going to flesh out. Is it flesh out? You see they're wrong and complaining against Moses. And so they, so God corrects them. He, he brings correction to them of their complaint against Moses in the verses that follow. In verse 3 to 9, we see the correction of the complainers. Uh, and uh, 3 through 9, let's read chapter 12, verse 3 through 9. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three, come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the door of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant? against Moses. So the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed. And the you know a lot much is said here and much a lot of interesting things, but again I point you to the last verse, the last phrase. So the anger of the Lord burns against them. And just as the Lord hears their complaining, uh, when they complain, the Lord is angry at them when they complain. When you complain in a, you know, uh, and, and against uh, against uh, the Lord's servants, the, the uh, other leaders, there is a, and that, and there's a, um, there is a, there's, God hears, and if it's, and if it's particularly if it's unjustified, there's going to be an anger. There's a being uh, that God does not delight in. God is uh, upset with, and God will, God will judge. And we see this correction, and so we see the correction that takes place as a result of. Of um, of their of their sin. Now it begins kind of verse three, but it's sort of a it's kind of a what you notice our translation NAS has it in parentheses, so it's almost a parenthetical statement because it's kind of funny, yet it's it's not kind of funny in a bad way, but it's just amusing, right? Because now the it says now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. You know, it's um, and because keep in mind who who wrote Numbers, Moses, right? Moses, yeah. So when it dawns on you that Moses wrote that book, huh? He wrote, you know, the man Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. That's kind of like, oh wow. You know, it's kind of like that, wait, wait, I thought when you say that you're humble, that's when you're no longer humble, right? You hear that kind of explaining? Oh, you know when you're humble, when you know, oh, you when you, you kind of just reckon who you are, but when you say you're humble, then you're no longer humble, right? But no, it's not quite true for Moses. See, not true for Moses. Moses wrote down under the this is a really just revelation reminder of us of the doctrine, the inspiration of the scriptures, that God through the Holy Spirit uh, it, it moves people to write down. What is what he wants in a right, and that's what he did here with Moses. But God intends it. Moses himself, in his humility, probably would not have written it. 
But God moves Moses to write it so that we kind of get an explanation from the Lord why Moses doesn't defend himself. He's been wrong. He's been unjustly accused by his sister and brother, fellow leaders, in probably a very public way. He's been challenged about his wife. It's family against family. So this is, you can imagine the next Thanksgiving is a little awkward. But anyways, this is what's happening. And uh, so what does Moses do? Does he defend himself? Because the natural response is if someone complains against me, I want to defend myself. I want to say, no, that's wrong. You know why? Because A, B, C, and D, and E. And you, by the way, you're ugly. <laughs> you know, that, okay, now no, you don't. We need, by the way, you need more sanctification than I do. Okay, okay, holy, let's all make that same. Edit that. <laughs> Fact is, we, uh, we, we get defensive, but Moses doesn't. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't say a word, right? Notice he doesn't say a word. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, you're wrong. Because Moses is, as God tells us, a very humble man. The most humble man on the face of the earth at that time. Now, the Hebrew word for humble is not the normal Hebrew word for humility uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. But it's one that, uh, it's, an, it's a different one. It's, a, it's different than normal. It, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, it is the word that expresses the intended outcome of affliction. That is humility. That humility that is here described as a person, when you go through affliction, when you go through trials, when you go through suffering, what God intends in that suffering and that affliction is what is produced in your life. And that is humility. I I was talking to someone yesterday at a ministry leaders meeting. And uh, he's not in the service, so it's good I can talk about him. But uh, so I love these illustrations, right? And he was talking to me about a, a trial they themselves, he and his wife had gone through this, you know, past uh, couple years. And, and what it was cool, what was amazing is that they, I knew it was a trial. I knew it was something they were working through, they were praying through. But, and then God recently answered a, a long-time prayer for them. And I was thinking, and he recognized it, and I, I also thought about it. I said, you know, that God had produced something in him, in his wife. He gave them their answered prayer but what he gave them more was humble faith, dependence upon the Lord, recognition that, that Jesus, God, is enough. That is more precious than the answered prayer that they were seeking. And I've seen that. And it's just, it was a blessing. And that's kind of, Moses had gone through a lot of trials. Yes, he was going from the prince of Egypt to a pauper. Uh, you know, comes cast out of Egypt to a shepherd. He'd gone through going back to uh, his, uh, his nation uh, in Egypt where he raised and having to uh, call people, call Pharaoh to, to let, people, let God's people go and experience all the trials and all the, the persecution, the affliction, seeing his people suffer because of his actions. Moses had gone through the, the many times, there probably self-doubt as well, questions as well. Moses had gone through suffering. He had learned humility in that process. Of course, this reminds us of Jesus, does he not? There's a purpose in all affliction. Jesus went through affliction, and in, in that affliction, he showed his humility. It produced, it reveals his humility. And that's the same thing for us. But Moses was a humble man, he de- and he learned to depend upon the Lord. It was, he learned to have an absolute dependence upon God. See, when complaints come at us, our natural response is to defend ourselves, deny or answer the charge, but not a humble servant of the Lord. You know, when we, if you are a leader and you're receiving those complaints, you know, you, if someone asks you for, you know, explanation, you go give me your explanation. But don't feel like you have to defend yourself. Let God defend you. You're his servant. And Moses understood that he was a servant. 
it was a, it's a perspective like this. Well, I'm a servant of the Lord, and I know that as a servant, I'm called to sacrifice and suffer for whatever the Lord calls me to do. And, and so and when someone doesn't like my service, well, they really don't. It doesn't matter because I serve the Lord. Someone think they can do a better job than me? They can think they can be a better leader than me or a better servant than me? Well, that's fine too. You're welcome to it. Just, but you first you got to take it up with my boss, and that's the Lord. You see, we're all servants, and God's all placed, especially those of us ministry leaders. And none of us ought to want to hold on to our place, our position of authority so much. Let, if anybody wants to, if God raises somebody else to take it over, by all means, because I'm ready for the next servant to step up. Let anybody come on and take on this role or the, your role. You know, that's what we should always be willing to have. Because when they complain, we can trust the Lord. We can know that the Lord will come to defend us if needed. And Moses knows that because he's his, the Lord's servant. So to complain, because ultimately to complain against Moses was to complain against the Lord. And so God corrects, God corrects uh, Miriam Aaron in verses, uh, uh, in, verse, in the four through and following. But uh, four and five, what happens is the actions of the correction. God, first of all, in response to Miriam and Aaron's complaint that does the Lord only speak to Moses? Does he only spoken to Moses? And so God speaks to Aaron and Miriam and Moses. And he actually speaks to them, but not in blessing, but in judgment. He calls them out. He says, come out to, to the tent, to the middle, of the, to the center of the camp. Think about it. This is a, this is a very visible rebuke and correction of, of Miriam and Aaron. In the two previous instances of complaining, what was the result? You complained about adversity, they got fire. They complained about uh, food, and they got a plague. You complain about Moses, the Lord's servant, and you get the presence of the Lord. You get called out. It's like someone, you know, just think of you felt, next time, Monday morning, you wake up, and you get an email from me and say, uh, brother or sister so-and-so, I want you to come to the worship hall of Asset Bible, where along with all, and you're going to meet with us, me, and all the elders. I think you'd be scared, right? Oh, man, am I in trouble? Just imagine what Miriam and Aaron expect when they were called by the Lord God who was standing before them in a pillar of cloud, and he says, come out to me. <laughs> they are in deep trouble. Okay? They're in deep trouble. This is a serious offense that they've committed against the Lord. And it's the, you see this as uh, a picture of the seriousness of it. Uh, God then speaks his words of correction in verse 6 to 8. They're, you notice they're in poetical form, just heightens the effect of these words. Uh, essentially, Moses, they're complaining about Moses, uh, that being whether he's a rightful leader or the appropriate leader. But Moses is instead commended as the unique prophet of the Lord in two ways. He's commended in his character, and he's commended in his, in his communication. You remember, and that's exactly kind of, in a sense, that's what the complaints were about. They complained about what? His character. He, Moses, married an unbeliever. Well, uh, we might say unbeliever today, but he married a, a foreign wife. That's bad. That's, that's like, you know, that's, like, that's bad. So they complained about his character. But what did God say in verse 7? Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. God publicly declared to Aaron and, Mo- 
Miriam that this Moses is not unfaithful, but he is faithful in all his household. In all, he's speaking like a picture of a, of a master of a household of servants. And of all his servants in his household, he says, Moses, of all my servants, is faithful. He is commended before them all. So that's his character. But regarding his, the, the criticism of, of, his communication, of the communication, they were complaining, well, has the Lord only spoken through to Moses? What about us? They think they're, thinking they're on, the same, on the same level of communication with, uh, with God. They have the same connection with God as Moses did. But, out, but the Lord's word rebuked them and said, well, other prophets, well, they, they get visions and dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. Moses doesn't get visions. He gets direct mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face communication. They're trying to claim that, oh, we know the Lord. (laughs) Moses knows the Lord. He sees the manifestation of God when he goes into the the Holy of Holies to speak with the Lord. God not only speaks to him directly, but God speaks to him openly, not in dark sayings. Sometimes that's translated as riddles. It's not like like he speaks to him in some of the prophetic statements. We're like, what does that mean? He speaks to him directly in in, in clear prose and just direct instructions. And God, in this way, corrects Aaron and Miriam of their, of their criticism of Moses. They criticize him for his communication, for his character, but God commends him for both. Moses is a faithful servant, superior to any others. And if Miriam and Aaron had recognized that, they then ought to have been afraid to speak against God's servant, even if they did have concerns. Miriam and Aaron had complained that Moses was unfaithful, that they were on. And if well on par with Moses, but they were not. They were far from it. Moses instead is a special prophet. He is unique. He is a he becomes a type of Christ, as you know. That God promised one day that there will be a prophet like Moses who would come. And that one is Jesus. Moses is as unique and special as as a, as Old Testament prophets go. Because he alone gets to speak to God face to face directly. No one else speaks to God face-to-face directly except for Jesus. Jesus. And so God vindicates him uh, as well as by commending, uh, commending Moses. And in verse 9, we read then, a reminder again, that the anger of the Lord burned against them. So God was angry with them. So that's kind of just a reminder. If God's angry about something, that's probably something you shouldn't do. Okay? So you don't complain. Be careful about complaining against God's servants. Now, again, I know you're going to think, well, I'm not trying to say don't judge, don't uh, correct them with sin. No. That's a totally different matter. Sin is sin. We're, and we're all, we all got sin, okay? And I have sin, you have sin at times, and we sometimes gently and lovingly need to come alongside and correct one another in sin. But one-on-one, privately, with two others, if, one or two others if we need to, the whole process of church discipline. But God's servants are God's, and, and we must be careful not to complain against them for just any old thing, just our preferences, our convictions, our consciences. And there may come a time when you have a complaint against a leader or leaders. And if God's, and, and you may approach them, and maybe they won't respond, but you can be sure that if God's servant is sinning, God will judge him. Okay, God will judge him. Even if you are not affected, you can trust that God will judge him because God will hold his servants accountable. But if God's servant is not sinning and you are trying to complain against them or reprove them, then God will judge you for speaking out against his servant. In some way. And so we ought to exercise a healthy caution before we complain against leaders, lest God become angry with us. 
It is a serious charge to accuse leaders of sin. It's, uh, it can be damaging, destructive, you know. Just think of a, uh, just a false accusation. That's why it's, it's so serious to be a, thou shalt not bear false witness. It's a serious thing to bear false witness against someone. That stain is hard to remove, especially in our day with the day of the Internet. Oh, pastor accused of sexual assault against a parishioner. That just goes out. Even if you find out the incident, that, that's not going to. That's not going to wipe clean. That's, that's pretty much, that's it. Paul in 1 Timothy 5.19 writes of the, series, the, of, the, the, uh, of the necessity to, to make sure that you, you bring a charge against them and that you have the wit- uh, witnesses of it. Uh, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. There's, a, there's elders, pastors, uh, if you're accusing them of sin, you've got to make sure you have those witnesses to that account or people who will, who will uh, confirm that sin. And that's the correction of the complainers. One final observation from Miriam and Aaron's complaining uh, that warned God's people of the danger of complaining among leaders is the, the last final part, and that is the consequence of the complainers. What do we see? We learn from the consequence, and it's just what the consequence is, is pretty serious. Verse 10 to 16, we pick up, this is what happens to M- Miriam and Aaron. In chapter 12, verse 10 to 16, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And as Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like the one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Miriam is the one who is most visibly punished between her and Aaron. For probably because of her role in leading and initiating the complaints against Moses. And she is cursed with leprosy, we are told here. And the term for or leprosy in the Bible is a term that can include our modern-day uh, lep- uh, what we call modern-day, what we modern-day would call leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease. But it would also, biblical leprosy would also include a, a whole host of skin diseases. Uh, skin diseases like psoriasis, which I, I suffer from. Um, or severe eczema, or other, other kind of skin disease. And in this case, she had some skin disease, some affliction that made her turn white. White, and white in, in her skin, maybe the scales or something like that. Or it could be the leprosy, the dying skin. But it was a, and so scholars are not sure. They, a lot of them think it's probably some other form of skin disease. But in any case, she has a biblical form of leprosy. And to have a biblical form of leprosy, was to be unclean, right? Ceremonially unclean, according to the Mosaic Law. Remember back to Numbers chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, that there was instructions about when you're defiled, when, you, when you're morally unclean, or sorry, ceremonially unclean uh, because of leprosy or something like that, it will require you to live outside the camp of Israel. So if you had leprosy, you couldn't stay in the community of God. You had to live outside the community of God. You had to be on the outskirts of the camp. And, it, and, and the, at this moment, we're not sure, but Miriam potentially could have leprosy for the rest of her life and for the rest of her life. 
she who was the prophetess of God was now going to be put out and to be in exile on the outskirts of the, of the community of Israel because of her complaining. Aaron, in comparison, in contrast, was, was not struck with leprosy. Even though he was guilty, he's, he too was sinned, he acknowledges it so. He, but he is, he's not struck with leprosy, maybe because he wasn't the, the, the initiator, the primary person, or perhaps because of his role as high priest. Because um, since she was struck with leprosy, a part of her kind of process of becoming ceremony clean again would involve having to show herself to the high priest. And so maybe in that sense, God uh, did not, uh, part of it, in a sense, is a mercy, but it's also a judgment in the sense that he is reminded as he has to evaluate and declare his, his sister uh, clean in, after seven days, that that's a reminder to him, even in his role, that he has a certain role to play in the nation of Israel. So Miriam, though, is punished with leprosy. So physically, she's punished with leprosy. Ceremonially, she's punished because she is ceremonial unclean and remember the ceremonial rites of uncleanness were lessons instructions for israel to learn what it means to be to have sin that when you when you commit sins when you sin you you are unclean before the lord you're not holy before god you need a, a process a pure a way to to make yourself clean and the bible teaches that the only way you make yourself clean is through the the blood of an animal slain and ultimately even those never cleaned anyone because there was ultimately the blood the lamb who was slain. But she's also not only uh, punished physically, ceremonially, but socially as well. Obviously being outside the camp for a period of seven days. And you need to keep in mind, the, the whole camp stops for seven days. They're on a journey. You're going to, you're going to, and everybody has to stop for you because of you sinned and you complained against Moses. And so the, it, you can imagine in those seven days, even for Miriam, that there's in her own heart. We don't see her words. We hear the repentance confession of, of Aaron. He acknowledges his sin. It's, it's really clear. We have acted foolishly. We have sinned. This, this, don't hold this, sin, this account of this sin to us. We've sinned, Moses. He's very clear. Notice he does confess his sin to Moses as well he, on behalf of him and, and Miriam. Miriam doesn't say a thing, but we can imagine and understand that. Uh, she probably repented as well. But how does Moses respond to this? And so his brother and sister have just basically complained against him. They, they question his leadership. God comes down. God uh, corrects them. Does Moses, how does he respond? He doesn't say, see, I was right. He doesn't in his heart say, you know, hmm, yeah. yeah you, you got one. <laughs> you got, okay, okay, these are all things that I would be thinking. That's why, so, that's why it's so real. <laughs> You know, it's like this, yeah, you, yeah, you deserve that. <laughs> so, you know, next time don't think of, don't, next time don't even think about doing that. You know, Lord, Moses, he is a very humble man, most humble man on the face of the earth at the time. And what he does in demonstrating his humility is he doesn't seek revenge, he doesn't gloat, he doesn't boast, he humbly fulfills and continues to fulfill his role as a leader of Israel. He intercedes on behalf of his sister. He prays, oh God, heal her, I pray. It's okay to pray for healing. God may heal and God may not, but it's okay. We can pray for that, right? God heal. He humbly prays for her healing. 
the Lord answers Moses' prayer and requires her to remain outside the camp for seven days because of her ceremonial uncleanness. She would spend the rest of her days outside the camp, seven days just to, to show her, but also to show the nation of the seriousness of complaining against God's servant Moses and the God's judgment, the consequence for complaining against leaders, how damaging and distressing. And it's, prob- and it's because she herself is a leader. And this happens all happens publicly because of leaders. And, and by the way, elders who sin, pastors who sin, are to be reproved publicly before all because we have a public reason. So, you know, and there is, a, there is that, um, to, there's an accountability that, um, that, need, that is greater for those who are, who are ministry leaders, but especially for pastors and elders. But what we find what we, amazing here is that when leaders are, are sin or complain against one another, it is a terrible sin that angers God, that, reserve, that receives his judgment. But what we see from Moses is a lesson for all of us. What we see from Moses is that there is mercy, there is grace, there is humility in how he receives back his brother and sister. His brother and sister have sinned against him, but he receives from them. He prays for them. He loves them still. He welcomes them back. He doesn't bring it up again. He's not going to call them out for it again, not told you so. And this is an example to us. When people sin against us in the church, in the family of God, whether they're brothers or sisters, and if they confess, repent, then we need to be loving and welcome them back. We, let's not remember it anymore. Let's forget about it. It's water on the bridge. Hey, I, let's understand that I know that person said it because they want what's best for this church just as much as I want what's best for this church. I, I hope in believing in, in, in that. And because we know that wherever there is repentance and confession, there is forgiveness in Christ. Because all of us are, all of us are, all of us are on it. In process, all of us are still being sanctified. And your brother and sister may be complaining about you, but hey, let's be honest, we have complained about others. We've we complained about others, and it may be our turn at some point. We hope that we will be like Moses and be, like, uh, and be Christ-like in forgiving and receiving back those who may sin against us. It dishonors God when we complain against leaders. Let me get our conclusion now. Especially from other leaders, it is sinful to complain against God's faithful servants whom he has placed in our lives to watch over us. And sin, but having said this, sin in the lives of leaders is to be lovingly, graciously, gently, just like it is with anybody else, pointed out, corrected, reproved. I, can't, I don't want you to walk away thinking, oh, you can't, you can't check you know, the leaders, all right? That's a, that would be a bad place for us to be too, okay? But I hope we'll become aware that more often when we complain about leaders, we're probably complaining about something that's lacking in them. Not so much sin. It's probably just a preference, something that we think they can do better. And it's probably because of maybe it's an immaturity in them. Maybe it's an insufficiency in them. Maybe it's an inadequacy that they have. But at the same time, that describes yourself. That describes me. And I, I love the, the reminder from uh, just the life of raising uh, children. Uh, when my children disobey, and I have a lot of reasons to complain. I, I could complain about my kids. And, uh, but 
God's blessed me with kids, so I really, I don't really have no reason to complain about them. But I could. But I don't, when, I, when, I, when I think about things that, you know, and I think, oh, man, they're, they're immature. They're, you know, oh, how come they can't do that well yet? You know, I can be tempted to complain about those things. But yet, I, I don't really because, well, I know they're immature. I know they're, they're still developing. They're, they're insufficient. They're inadequate at this point in doing some of those things, though they could do better. And I, and I lovingly, patiently wait upon them and continue to stand alongside them, encourage them. And that's what we can do with our leaders. When especially, you know, I thank God for the many of you older saints in this church. You guys have uh, tolerated a young leader like myself some 20-some years. I see a lot of you guys in this room. You guys talk, and I know that I'm sure in your minds, you say, man, he don't know what he's doing you know, sometimes. I don't think he knows what he's doing. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's not really gifted at that. He's, oh, he's, he's kind of weak in that area. But what has happened is that this, uh, this, uh, you have, like parents, like spirit, you come alongside and, and you've accepted the fact that I'm immature, or insufficient at times, inadequate at times. You've encouraged me at times. You prayed for me. You loved me. Because he could have just kicked me out. Chase me out. Say, hey, can we, can we, can we didn't find some more mature, more adequate, more sufficient than you. And you could have easily, I tell you. But I would have never grown in maturity or sufficiency or adequacy without your love. So we need the body. We need one another. We need, leaders need you, the congregation, to come alongside them, encourage them. The leaders need one another to sharpen one another's iron, sharpens iron. But let us guard ourselves from complaining grumbling in that sinful way that, that is, seeks to, is, comes out of, of a, maybe a, a, I like to say, comes out of bitterness instead of seeking to, out of bitterness rather than seeking for their better, for our leaders better, for the church's better. And that's just an attitude that comes, and I hope that we, the Lord, as long as the Lord will have us here, that God will continue to sanctify this church, sanctify this, our leadership here, and that we would not be <laughs> complainers. And that we not complain, especially against one another. Let's go learn prayer. Father, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for the instruction today. Uh, the reminder from uh, Numbers chapter 12, guard us, we pray, from complaining, especially against our leaders. Um, now, Lord, help us to evaluate clearly why we're dissatisfied or discontent. Give us wisdom and insight to know whether it's by your standards or whether it's by our own standards by which we measure. Uh, guard us from legalism. Guard us from envy, too. Um, and we pray that you would uh, continue to show us our hearts. We know that sometimes our hearts are deceitful. We, we don't even, we're not even aware of it, Lord. And we pray that you would show us areas in our life where we need to be saint, grow in our sanctification. And as a congregation, guard us from complaining against one another. For that is not what you will for your church. Help us to encourage, to love, to be gracious, to be patient with one another uh, and because we're all on this journey together we're all growing in godliness growing christ likeness thank you father that this is only that our our maturity is possible because of christ and because of his work in our lives and lord we look forward to the day when we see you in heaven and you'll completely uh that we that our, the process will be done until then lord um let's keep help us to look to you and keep our eyes on you and put our trust in you uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.